0: Inside the dark belly of the aircraft, James's hearing was overwhelmed by the constant vibration of the aircraft equipment. Airplane crews required oxygen at altitudes above 10,000 feet. Just beyond and above where he laid, the pilot flew comfortably in the cockpit with access to oxygen as the plane leveled out at 19,000 feet. James had no oxygen mask. He began to feel dizzy as hypoxia set in. His thinking slowed down and he had difficulty breathing. As a B-24 pilot, he always had an insulated flight suit because of the extreme cold at high altitudes. Now, without the necessary warm clothing, the frigid temperatures were almost too much for him. His body shook with violent involuntary shivers. Just two hours, just two hours, he kept telling himself. Here he was, trapped inside the belly of a German fighter with no way of looking outside to see if they were over water or over land. He began to feel around in the darkness and discovered a small plate that opened up to the outside. He couldn't put his eye too close because of the steady intake of air that was caused by the small opening. Instead, James sat back a few feet away from the peephole and could see in the distance where the water met the horizon. This gave him a small comfort as he was able to pass the time by looking at the world through a small peephole. This episode is dedicated to U.S. Army Air Corps Colonel James Alexander Gunn III, World War II, Korea, and Vietnam Wars. James was a B-24 pilot and commanding officer of the 454th Heavy Bomb Group, 15th Army Air Corps. James Gunn III was born in Kelseyville, Lake County, California, on May 28, 1912, and began his service in the U.S. Army Air Corps in 1939. In 1940, as an aviation cadet in San Antonio, Texas, he married his sweetheart, Aileen Orison. After receiving his pilot's wings, the guns relocated to Panama City, Panama on military orders. In 1942, their son, James, was born. Their other two, William and Anne, were born soon afterwards. Fast forward several years into the future. Italy had fallen to the Allies, and several air bases had begun to sprout up all over the countryside. Allied bombing campaigns then began to pummel and weaken access powers from within the European mainland. Since the beginning of the war, all Allied bombing operations originated out of England. Some of the bombing missions lasted as long as 12 hours and crews returned battered, injured, and severely tired. The new airfields in Italy now provided a much-needed advantage over the enemy. Bombing sorties could hit the heart of the Reich and had a deeper reach into targets that were previously untouched, being too far away. Many of the American bombing crews stationed in Italy were still wet behind the ears and fresh out of flight training. However, Gunn already had several years worth of experience. He was looked up to by many of the officer and NCO crew members of his squadrons. Gunn was a slender 32-year-old B-24 pilot and commander of the 454th Heavy Bomb Group. Because he was 10 years older than most of his subordinates, he was known as POP. He took part in 31 bombing missions over southern Europe while flying out of San Giovanni airfield, Foggia, Italy. Operation Tidal Wave took place on August 17, 1944, where B-24s stationed both in southern Italy and Libya were used. The mission's operation goal was to take out nine oil refineries in Proyest, Romania, The mission was later known as Black Sunday due to the enormity of loss. Fifty-three liberators were shot down, resulting in the loss of 660 crew members. This was the second highest loss of life for the U.S. Army Air Corps during World War II. In the aftermath of Operation Tidal Wave, five medals of honor and 56 Distinguished Service crosses, as well as many other medals, were handed out to crew members. While flying over Pleiast, Four of the eight bombers in Gunn's lead squadron, including his own plane called Prince Charming, were shot down by flak. After parachuting safely to the ground, Gunn was surrounded by a mob of Romanians who were intent on getting justice. After being taken to the authorities, he learned that all but one of his crew bailed out safely. He was then taken by Romanian access troops, who were still sympathetic to the Nazis, to an officer's POW camp in Bucharest. Lt. Col. Gunn discovered that he was the highest ranking of 400 U.S. troops in the POW camp. With two additional prisoner camps in the area, there were a total of 1,162 Allied POWs around Bucharest. After just six days in the camp, Gunn learned that Romania had changed sides and began supporting the Allies. This resulted in German air raids striking the city from air bases that were still in German hands. Romania had been under the long-held influence of General Ion Antonescu, who had supported Hitler during the war. In fact, Romanian troops made up most of the Axis's eastern front in the fight against the Soviets. However, Romania's last supreme ruler, King Michael I, wanted peace in the land, and gradually other Romanian government and military officials began to support his cause. In late August of 1944, the German military was gradually weakening and news of the advancing Soviet forces spread. King Michael then had Antonescu arrested and set up a regional government in support of the Allies. Gunn now found himself with 400 officers abandoned among the pandemonium in Bucharest. As the ranking brass, he knew it was his duty to guarantee safe passage for nearly 1200 POWs, and there was no way to contact the nearest Allied base. Romanian prison guards began leaving their post after they discovered their country was no longer supporting the Axis powers. Gates were left wide open, and many of the POWs fled the prison to seek help in the nearby towns. Some of them were aided by locals, while others escaped into the surrounding countryside. Gunn needed to gain control and account for all of his men. He didn't want them to leave the prison and vanish into the country, His first task was to keep the POWs confined in one area. It would take a while until he could locate the authorities who could possibly help him liberate the POWs. As it was, the German Luftwaffe started bombing Bucharest in retaliation of the change in government in support of the Allies. This just compounded the chaos and fear of the oncoming Soviet occupation making civilians very restless. Gunn was eventually able to speak with a member of the Romanian Minister of War and asked for a plane to fly to Italy. He had two things in mind, to organize an attack on the Germans who were still bombing Bucharest, and to rescue the remaining Allied POWs. His first attempt was a failure. After driving 15 minutes outside of Bucharest, Gunn looked at the aircraft that awaited him. It was a rusty, worn-down, three-motor SM-79 bomber. It didn't even look like it could achieve takeoff speed. The pilot, who didn't speak any English, didn't bring him any assurance either. He seemed standoffish and was afraid of flying the plane all the way to Italy. They achieved liftoff speed, but only after 20 minutes in the air, the pilot turned around because of mechanical issues. Things weren't looking hopeful until a handsome Romanian fighter pilot walked up to gun and said in perfect English, Colonel, If you will crawl into the belly of a Messerschmitt 109, I will fly you to Italy." This was 39-year-old Captain Constantine Cantacuzino, the Luftwaffe commander of a Romanian fighter group and a flying ace who happened to be in the Romanian royal family. His fellow flyboys called him Bazu or Buzz. In order to become an ace, a fighter pilot has to shoot down at least five enemy aircraft. Kazuno had joined the Romanian Air Force in 1941 and had flown over 600 combat missions during the war, with at least 43 confirmed kills. Remember these kills were from downed allied planes, including an American B-24. If Kazuno and Gunn had met in the air only weeks earlier, the two would have been mortal enemies. However, they put their differences aside and worked together as a team. Kazuno's plan was simple. He would take Lt. Col. Gunn in a commandeered German Messerschmitt Bf 109 to the closest Allied base in Foggia, Italy. The problem was that the fighter carried only one person, so Gunn would have to be transported in the belly of the aircraft. Without hesitation, he agreed to do it. Radio equipment had to be taken out, and he had to squeeze through an 18-inch square metal door, which would be his only exit. However, the door was screwed shut, and there was no latch on the inside. Gunn gun had no parachute and had no oxygen equipment, so if the plane went down, he would be trapped inside with no way out. The plane would be cruising at an altitude of 19,000 feet over the Adriatic Sea until it reached its destination. The next thing to do was to make the plane look non-German. The two black German crosses on the sides were painted over with American flags. Hopefully, the first allies who saw the plane would spot the new upgrades and not shoot it down. There were no maps of Italy, so from memory, Gunn made a roughly drawn map on a piece of cardboard of the southeast coast of Italy, marking the position of gun placements that he knew about when he flew the Ployeste mission. Gunn also drew an approach chart for his home base at San Giovanni airfield. There was some concern that if word spread about the daring mission, the Germans might be hiding and wait on the airfield to shoot them down. So they kept things a secret and told everybody that they were departing on August 28th. On August 27th, the two approached the Messerschmitt and Gunn hopped into the tight radio compartment as if to see if he could fit. Once Gunn was inside, Casino secured the panel, climbed into the pilot seat, and started taxiing down the grass runway. At 5.20pm, the Messerschmitt took off for the two-hour trip with Casino reading the map and Gunn huddled up inside the belly of the aircraft. Both men hoped that they would make the daring flight. British troops spotted the plane over Italy, but withheld their fire after seeing the large American flags painted on the sides. U.S. troops even spotted the familiar shape of the German fighter, but didn't fire on it when Casino wagged the wings from side to side to communicate he was a friendly. The Romanian ace followed Gunn's directions to approach the airfield, and when the Messerschmitt landed, Casino climbed out of the cockpit and said to the confused onlookers, Gentlemen! I have a wonderful gift for you. Will someone please get me a screwdriver? After a mechanic handed him the tool, he removed the access panel, and out came a tall, lanky airman. One of the American soldiers nearby cried out, Look at those GI boots coming out! When Gunn got out, he stood at his full height. Then the men recognized him, and the crowd broke out in celebration. After Gunn had recovered from the long trip... He made plans with General Born of the 15th Air Force to send fighter strikes against German bombers in Bucharest and arrange for what would become a massive aerial exodus of almost 1,200 POWs. This large-scale mission was dubbed Operation Gun. Specialized B-17s were prepared that would transport the POWs from Bucharest back to Italy. All unnecessary items were removed, including most of the bombs and guns. They also covered the bomb bay doors with plywood. The normal 10-man crew was also reduced to 6 to make room for the additional POWs. Captain Casino learned to fly a P-51 in just two days and accompanied several other P-51 pilots back to Romania. Operation Gun was planned by the 15th Air Force and the OSS, the predecessor to the CIA. Prior to heading out, OSS agents told the US P 51 pilots that if Conto Casino pulled a fast one, they were to shoot him down. Romania had very recently changed sides to the Allies. However, there were still those who were faithful to Germany. After landing in Romania, Conto Casino shot a yellow flare into the sky, indicating that the airfield was still in Romanian hands. Word was sent back to San Giovanni Field, and a little while later, the two B-17s escorted by 32 fighters left for Romania. These bombers held provisions like medical supplies and food for the POWs. Once the group landed, the OSS members on board the B-17s were responsible for rounding up the POWs who awaited them around Bucharest and the countryside. They would then take them to the Popesti airfield. The Romanian government also lent a hand by providing the POWs with transportation to the airfield. The first wave of B-17s took off from Foggia, Italy on August 31st at 8 o'clock a.m. with additional aircraft who would take off every hour in groups of 12. The entire group was also escorted by over 250 P-38 and P-51 fighters. After the U.S. aircraft landed in Romania, they were arranged in organized groups. A B-24 tail gunner who was there to liberate the camp remembered as he looked out at the gathered GIs. They looked like a ragtag bunch, some in dirty, faded uniforms, some in bits of civilian clothing, some wearing enemy helmets and carrying souvenirs, some in the possession of more bottles of wine than it appeared they could carry. Each B-24 could carry twenty men within their modified insides. As they lifted off, the former POWs hoped and prayed that they wouldn't be shot down. They had no parachutes or means of escaping the planes. Each of the men had been shot down only weeks before, and those memories were still very fresh in their minds. We were all nervous, Lieutenant Richard Britt said. It was the first time we had been close to a plane since the raid. We all remembered our last flight ending in a crash. The mission continued until September 3rd as additional B-24s and their fighter escorts flew round trips to Bucharest and back to Italy. Finally, all 1,161 Americans were evacuated, some riding along with the famed Tuskegee Airmen. Operation Gun was accomplished with amazing care and not a single man lost his life. Thanks to a charming Romanian fighter ace and a determined American pilot, Operation Gun has been remembered as one of history's greatest military rescues. Sadly, after the Red Army invaded the country, Romania remained under brutal Soviet control for the next 45 years. After Operation Gun, Canto Casino returned to Romania and fell on rough times. After the war, Romania became a communist country who supported the Soviet Union. Canto Casino's property was all taken from him and given to the government. He was able to leave the country for Italy in 1947, where his wife was filming a movie. He tried to obtain a visa for the U.S., but he was repeatedly denied. Eventually, he ended up in France and began flying aerobatics and air shows. By the early 1950s, all of his money had dried up, and he took up crop dusting. Contecuzino died on May 26, 1958, after an unsuccessful surgery for an ulcer. He was 53. Following the war, Gunn remained in the newly formed U.S. Air Force, where he would serve in Europe and the Pentagon before his last assignment in 1966 as the Vice Commander of Lackland Military Training Center in San Antonio, Texas. This would later become the U.S. Air Force basic training headquarters. Gunn retired in 1967 as a full bird colonel and stayed in San Antonio with his wife where he ran a real estate company and stayed active in the community until his death on October 2, 1999. James and Aileen had been married for 59 years. The gun's two sons followed in their father's footsteps, both joining the U.S. Air Force. James's oldest son, Captain James Lyons Gunn, a Vietnam War veteran, died in 1972 at the age of 30 from a hunting accident. Their youngest son, William, continued in the Air Force and retired as a major. A recommendation for Gunn to receive the Medal of Honor came just after War of the Cotton Tales, a book written by William R. Cubbins, one of Gunn's crew members who had flown with him over Romania and conveyed Gunn's heroics. In 2009, the U.S. Army decided that Gunn's actions would earn him a Silver Star. In October 2014, an event was organized to present Gunn's family with his Silver Star. More than two hundred attended the event, including James Gunn's remaining kids, William and Ann, and a 99-year-old guest of honor, Aileen Gunn. It's been a while since I've seen a three-star general on his knees as he was hanging the medal around her neck. William Gunn said, "That's not something you see every day." She was, I could tell, pleased beyond description. Aileen Gunn lived in San Antonio until her death on April 23, 2017. She was 101. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Remember My Name podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at RememberMyNamePodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at RememberMyNamePodcast and Twitter at rmnpodcast. Now take a moment and remember this name, James Gunn.